Welcome to Live Yes with Arthritis from the Arthritis Foundation. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. Here, you'll learn things that can help you improve your life and turn no into yes. This podcast is part of the Live Yes Arthritis Network, a growing community of people like you who really care about conquering arthritis once and for all. This is a special edition of the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast, recorded on March 12, 2020, to discuss coronavirus or COVID-19 and arthritis. Our hosts are arthritis patients, Rebecca and Julie, and they're asking the questions you want answers to. Listen in. Welcome to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. I'm Rebecca, an occupational therapist living with rheumatoid arthritis. And I'm Julie, a JA patient who's passionate about making sure all patients have a voice. Welcome to a special episode of the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. Today, we're diving into a topic that has the world's attention, the coronavirus COVID-19. The coronavirus has become the topic of the hour, and it's an evolving issue where we are learning new information rapidly. We're dialing in from home today for this special edition of the podcast, recorded on March 12, 2020. For the most up-to-date information, please refer to the CDC website. Today, we're talking to Dr. Michael George, who is a rheumatologist and epidemiologist at the University of Pennsylvania and studies infections in patients with autoimmune disease. He brings a wealth of public health knowledge to our conversation today and will help us understand how the coronavirus outbreak may impact people living with arthritis. Welcome, Dr. George. We're thankful that you're joining us today to talk about what people with arthritis need to know about this coronavirus outbreak. We just want to say thank you so much, Dr. George, for all the time that you've given to us providing information to our patients in the arthritis community. We know you are on the online community forum. You're taking the time to record the podcast with us today, and you've helped us provide information to everybody uh, over the last few weeks. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, to get us started today, can you tell us a little bit about your work and your research in infectious disease and maybe even define what epidemiology means for our listeners? Epidemiology basically just means the study of diseases and populations. So this really began as the study of infectious diseases and outbreaks like cholera, but now it's the study of chronic diseases as well. So my research is focused on understanding how immunosuppressants that people take increase their risk of infection um, in general and also in specific situations, such as when people are getting surgery. You're the perfect expert on our show to help us make sense of what's happening with this coronavirus. So can we start with the basics first? What is coronavirus and how do these symptoms present? Coronaviruses in general are a family of viruses. And that includes several viruses that cause common colds, but also a couple of viruses that can cause a more severe infection uh, like SARS. And the current outbreak is a new coronavirus that's been named SARS-CoV-2 because it's very closely related to SARS. And in fact, the illness it causes has been named COVID-19. So that's sort of the confusion, the name of the virus and the name of the illness. 
So you'll hear both of those things thrown around. The three most common symptoms are fever, cough, and fatigue. So it can cause a mild illness or it can cause a more severe respiratory illness. So can you tell us a little bit about what it is about this particular strain of coronavirus that is so dangerous to our public health? There's several things that make this dangerous. So first, it's it's a new virus. And so none of our immune systems have seen this before. And essentially, we don't have any immune protection from this virus, as opposed to things like the flu, which we have at least some protection from year to year um, and also have some vaccines for. Um, And secondly, it is quite contagious, um, and we're still learning more about this. It's spread in a similar way to flu, but it seems to be somewhat more contagious than flu is. And in part, that might be, for the first reason I said, that we don't have that much protection from it. As of today, March 12th, 2020, can you give us an idea of what is happening in the U.S. right now? I think over the next several weeks, We'll continue to understand how widespread this is. Uh, We honestly haven't had widespread testing yet. And so it is quite likely that there are a lot more cases than we actually realize right now. So I think we're going to learn more and more about this. And we're likely to see more and more cases for quite some time. But I think we don't yet know exactly how widespread this is going to get. We're rapidly learning and the situation is really evolving and it speaks to some of the fear and anxiety that people have about the virus and what it means for them. Can you share a little bit about some of the risks of COVID-19 for people who are living with an autoimmune form of arthritis? The fear and anxiety about this virus is is shared by by really everyone. And and I certainly understand that 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 is especially true in people who have chronic conditions like autoimmune disease, especially since some of the medications that people take, you know, can potentially affect the immune system. And it's hard for us to give clear guidance on how much that affects someone's risk. This is certainly widespread. And I think that it is likely to affect a lot of people. And and the real question is, you know, what are the things that might make it more likely that someone's going to have a severe illness? Uh, We know that the majority of people have mild symptoms. So, you know, probably 80% of people have mild or moderate symptoms, but then a smaller percentage of people have more severe symptoms. And of course, an even smaller percentage of people, you know, can even die from the virus, from respiratory infection. We know that people who have diabetes, people who have lung disease, people who have cardiovascular disease, and especially people who are older um, are at higher risk of having a more severe infection. It seems likely that there is probably some risk uh, with having an autoimmune disease as well, but we don't know exactly how much that risk is. Dr. George, we've had a lot of engagement on this issue in our online community forum and on social media. One of the questions that a lot of our patients have top of mind is, is it going to make a difference what our diagnosis is or which drugs we take as it pertains to contracting the coronavirus so, for example, if I'm on a low dose of methotrexate or if I'm taking prednisone or a biologic, are the risks different? In our clinics, we've been getting this question every day as well, and it's something that I wish we had a better answer to. My main concern with the medications is not the risk of getting the virus. It's one of the things that if you do get it, make it more likely that you're going to have a severe illness or have severe lung issues from it. The 
arthritis community is not alone in their concerns. I mean, almost 40% of people in the United States have some sort of chronic medical condition. And, um, and so there's a lot of interest in this and a lot of sort of exploration. But I think people with autoimmune disease are in a very specific place because we do use medications that impact the immune system and might have some impact on it. One thing I'd like to emphasize is that medications are always a big concern because, you know, should I stop it? Should I continue it? What should I do with it? The more important things might actually be, you know, how severe is your condition? Do you have lung problems? Are you older? So first of all, there's some medications that are very commonly used that don't affect infection risk much at all. So medications like Plaquenil and Sulfazalazine really don't carry infection risk. And in fact, Plaquenil is, is maybe even being studied as a potential treatment here. So those medications seem quite safe. Um, methotrexate might have a small risk of infection, but it is quite small. And there's been some recent large studies that have been very reassuring in this regard with no differences in the risk of serious infections for people on methotrexate. Um, biologics do carry some risk of infection, and we don't know how much does it impact your risk if you get this virus, but there are concerns with biologics um, and also with, with JAK inhibitors um, like tovacitinib, Zelgen, that, that likely do increase some risk. What we do find consistently in studies that we've done is that Medications like high-dose prednisone, and especially if people are taking 20 milligrams or more of prednisone, that probably is higher risk than any of the other medications. Thanks for diving into those specifics. We've got a couple of questions about if you are taking one of those medications, should you stop taking them if it's going to suppress your immune system? Or should you self-quarantine so that you can maintain your treatment? Can you comment on some of the preventative mechanisms or precautions that some of these patients should take? A lot of my patients are asking right now about, should I stop my medication or not? And you wouldn't recommend stopping medicine without talking to your doctor. At the moment, we're not recommending that people stop their medications ahead of time. I mean, we may be dealing with this virus for months, so we wouldn't want to see people off their medications for months. We do know that having flare-ups of your disease, having more severe disease, needing to take high-dose prednisone, all of those things could actually increase your infection risk. So. To me, it doesn't seem like a good idea to just stop medications now. It might be a different situation if you have very close contact with someone who has the disease or if you get sick yourself. That's something that I think you should let your doctor know about. And certain medications, they might suggest stopping for a period of time just to make sure it's not contributing to you getting sicker from the virus. There's a, a broad range of immunosuppression to being on a medicine that affects your immune system a little bit to having a much more suppressed immune system to being, you know, a, a cancer patient who's on high-dose chemotherapy who has very little immune system. And um, it can be hard to figure out where you fall in that range. So being on high-dose prednisone, I think, puts you further on the immunosuppression side. That's what I get the most concerned about when people are on high doses of prednisone for a prolonged period of time, which is fortunately the the minority of people with autoimmune conditions. If you're on a stable regimen of methotrexate, maybe a biologic, um, you know your your immune system may be affected to a small degree. But I think the prednisone has a much larger effect. The way I see this, personally for me, I'm on methotrexate. I'm on a biologic. 
for me, I feel like if I maintain my uh, baseline of having my disease under control and my inflammation markers are low, in my eyes, I see that as being better for me versus having high disease activity and a lot of flare. In that situation, I feel like I'm at more risk. So is that a fair assessment that of, of my perspective? I think that if you've been taking a medication, you're doing well, you haven't been having a lot of infections, I think that sort of answers the question for you that this seems to be a good regimen for you. But then taking the precautions to try and avoid contact with people who are sick, washing hands frequently, you know, doing all the precautions that people should take is important. And if you do get sick, letting your doctor know so that you can make decisions about whether any of those medicines need to be stopped. That's a great assessment and a great way to kind of talk about how we want to stay in control of our symptoms and our, of our arthritis. I wonder if we are going to maintain, should we be considering self-quarantine? What does that look like in your perspective? I think this is a really tough question. And it's likely that the recommendations for everyone, especially in various areas, is going to change over the next few weeks. You know, we've seen some other countries take very strict measures in terms of avoiding social gatherings and self-quarantine. Um, and it's hard to know exactly what to recommend for people right now. I would certainly recommend, um, especially in areas that have seen a number of cases, avoiding crowded spaces, avoiding close contact with large numbers of people. Um, I think in general, people don't need to be staying in their homes and not going outside. I mean, in general, being outside in the open air, especially if you're staying a reasonable distance from other people, six feet plus from other people, is, is quite low risk. The chance that you're going to develop this virus just by walking past someone down the street is very low. But I do think that people with chronic conditions, including autoimmune arthritis, should be thinking hard about, do I want to go into a crowded space? Do I want to be in close contact with other people? That's a great point. So is it fair to say that there's a difference between self-quarantining and maybe some of the buzzword social distancing that we've heard a lot about? The term self-quarantine really applies to people who might be sick and wanting to avoid them spreading it to other people. So self-quarantine is really, I might be sick, I don't want to get other people sick. Whereas social distancing is a way to protect yourself. It's avoiding crowded spaces. It's staying at least six feet away from other people, avoiding close contact with people who are ill. Um, one thing to know about this virus, and one of the reasons that it, that it can uh, be hard to control the spread of this, is that people can actually spread the virus for a day or two before they develop symptoms. And so that's why avoiding crowded spaces and avoiding close contact with, with people, even people who appear well, may be important for helping prevent the spread of the disease. One of the things that we are also concerned about, and we know there are a lot of kids with arthritis, with juvenile idiopathic arthritis or a rheumatic disease, are you able to give any advice to families who are dealing with that or have children with a rheumatic disease or a juvenile arthritis? I'll say one reassuring thing has been that although kids seem to be able to get this virus as easily as anyone else, the, the chances of them having a severe disease or severe lung issues from the disease 
seem to be very low in general. Now, it's hard to know whether kids who have JIA or other autoimmune conditions might be at higher risk, but, but at least we know that they're starting from a lower spot in terms of risk of a serious illness here. So I think that's quite reassuring. I, I think we still need to take the precautions, the standard precautions to try to avoid illness um, in, in really all children. But I, I am reassured by what we've learned so far about the chances of a kid developing a severe illness. I know we have a lot of concerned families out there. You know, do I send my kid to school? Do, do we refrain from sports? You know, those kind of uh, questions are, are definitely out there. There's been a lot of school closings and other, and other events being canceled right now. So I think we're going to learn more and more about that in the weeks to come. If you do contract COVID-19, if you do contract the virus, what kinds of treatments are available? We've seen some news that maybe some arthritis drugs are effective in combating the disease. At the moment, the main treatment is supportive care. Um, you know, for people who develop severe lung infection with the virus, in the hospital setting for people who have less, less severe illnesses, it's controlling the symptoms. There's a lot of interest in a variety of different treatments for this virus, but nothing is quite ready for prime time yet. And there's a number of trials underway. So antivirals are being tested um, in several studies. Uh, there are, as you mentioned, some autoimmune medications that are being tested, um, especially tocilizumab is being tested and chloroquine. Um, is being tested, but we really don't know the impact of those treatments on the disease yet. And so there's a number of things in the pipeline, but at the moment, if someone does get sick, then the greatest likelihood is that they're going to be treated with good supportive care, which is probably honestly the most important thing. Yeah, definitely. That was kind of one of my questions the other day was, if I'm already on these, is that giving me an extra layer of protection if they're using it to treat it? But I would like to think yes. I would, I would, from a positive standpoint, let's think yes, but I, I think we just don't know. <laughs> Share your coronavirus and arthritis thoughts, tips, and stories, and ask our subject matter experts questions on our Live Yes Arthritis Network online community discussion forum. Go to arthritis.org slash live yes. Join the online community to access the Hot Topics Coronavirus Forum. We know that there is a vaccine in development and that can take a while um, for the COVID-19. Can you share a little bit about how that works when we're trying to develop a new vaccine as far as timelines and, and what to expect? Vaccines can take quite some time to develop. Um, it does seem like this is really moving quite quickly for COVID-19 and uh, COVID-19 and, and Dr. Fauci of the NIH has um, said that he expects within a couple months there'll be vaccines ready for clinical trials. But of course, it's one thing to develop the vaccine and then another to make sure it works, make sure there aren't issues with it, make sure it's doing what it's supposed to do. So um, it's going to be at, at least a couple months before things are in trials and then longer from that to get something out for people to use. So I think one of the hopes is that this can die down, but then we have vaccines available to help spread, to help prevent the spread if things develop again, you know, in the fall. 
So what about some of the other vaccines that we may have had for similar conditions? If you've had the flu vaccine or the pneumonia vaccine, are those giving patients any extra layer of protection against coronavirus? It won't protect, protect against COVID-19 directly, uh, but they are both still quite important. Um, the flu is widely circulating right now as well um, and can be quite dangerous. And so getting the flu vaccine is very important. The pneumonia vaccine, preventing pneumococcal pneumonia, I mean, that's actually a more dangerous illness than COVID-19 is in terms of its likelihood of causing severe respiratory problems. And there is even the chance of people getting COVID-19 and developing a secondary pneumococcal infection. So I would highly recommend that people who've not had the flu and pneumococcal vaccine um, get those. So, Dr. George, we know that from our Live Yes Insights program, which is an ongoing scientific study that the Arthritis Foundation is conducting, two-thirds of the over 18,000 responses showed that people have reported feeling depression, anxiety, and fear over the last seven days from when they completed the assessment. So we know that people with arthritis are already having a high level of anxiety, and this public health crisis is just not helping. So is there any advice you could give to help calm some of those fears and anxiety that we might be experiencing? I do think it is quite understandable that people feel anxious and afraid about this, especially because it seems like day to day things are changing. And, and I do think it is quite likely that a lot of people will be affected by this virus. I think people should remember that many people are going to have a mild illness. The great majority of people are going to recover just fine if they do get ill. But of course, there are some people who will become quite sick. So I think we need to take the precautions we can and do the best we can to support each other, to take this seriously, but also to just make sure that we're prepared if we do get sick. If I do get sick, if I am self-quarantined, if I get stuck in my apartment, I might need to figure out a way that I can exercise at home so that I can burn off some of my energy and steam so I don't find myself more anxious and more fearful. And I think we all probably have our own things, our own hobbies that make those things feel a little bit happier and healthier. Um, so I know everybody's stocking up on toilet paper, but if you have a favorite hobby, <laughs> stock up on your craft supplies or whatever that might be as well to, yeah. to have something you enjoy doing from home. Good time to catch up on all those books you want to read. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> People with arthritis are already often incredibly vigilant about prevention techniques. So all the stuff that we're being advised to do to protect ourselves from infection most of that stuff is just part of my daily regimen. And, and when I travel, I board early and ask for extra time because I'm wiping everything down. I'm hand sanitizing my hands every single time I touch something that is public. When I sneeze or, you know, blow my nose, whatever, I already know I'm always at risk for infection. Um, I don't get the flu. I get respiratory infections. And so, we always have a lot of soap. <laughs> we have a lot of hand sanitizer on hand all the time, right, Julie? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. Is there a need for me to be even more vigilant now, or is what we're doing already enough to protect ourselves from COVID-19? Well, it sounds like you do a fantastic job, and I, I wish I were as good as you are at this. I think that if you're already very aware of the hand washing, um, the sanitizing things, you know, avoiding touching your face, and you're doing 95% of this 
already. That's probably the most important things to do. I think the additional things, the additional precautions here are really going to be around crowded spaces and maybe avoiding um, some things that we normally would have done going to a crowded music event or concert or sporting event, if those things are even happening anymore. I think avoiding close contact with crowds is probably the additional precaution on top of those standard precautions. We've had to cancel some trips and events for the foundation. Um, I had some travel scheduled and I did cancel that. But like, I also have asthma and I recently, a few weeks ago, um, had pleurisy. And so my, my personal rheumatologist said, I think it's best that you don't travel and definitely avoid some of those crowded places. So in my situation, I feel like, you know, I'm already immune suppressed and I have a lung issue going on. So I am in that higher risk population, correct? I think that what you said is really important because for a couple of reasons. I mean, first, so you thought about what are some of the specific things to you that might increase your risk. And I think you're right, the lung conditions, the asthma, um, I mean, those things all can contribute and may be additive. And then talking to your rheumatologist or your provider, if you're concerned about the individual risk to you. And, and I've had similar conversations with my patients about canceling a trip or not canceling a trip. Should you go on this? What activities should you do based on your individual risk, which is which is hard to generalize. Yeah, that's why, obviously, we keep saying, talk to your doctor about your specific situation. Right. I think that's a good point, Rebecca. And I also, I'm realizing that we've talked a lot about what coronavirus means for an immunosuppressed or autoimmune form of arthritis. Can you comment and talk a little bit about other forms of arthritis and if they might be at a similar risk, specifically osteoarthritis or otherwise? I don't think there's any reason to think that osteoarthritis itself would would cause any problems, but I think many people with osteoarthritis um, are older or or have other medical conditions, and and so I think it's important to think not just about the arthritis, but about what some of the other risks might be for getting a severe infection. And as we said before, the the biggest things are older age, especially age above sixty. Um, and then also having other medical conditions. We've seen a lot of people walking around in the community wearing medical masks, even though, you know, you're hearing different things. So we also know that there's a shortage of these types and that our medical community really kind of needs that who are on the front lines of treating people. Um, what should people with arthritis do to protect themselves? Are masks important? Should we be wearing them? Well, I think it helps to understand how the virus is spread is spread in droplets that then land on surfaces. So it doesn't hang around in the air for a prolonged period of time. And so masks are not particularly helpful at protecting you from the virus unless you're really, really close to someone who's sort of coughing directly on you and you're preventing it from droplets from contacting your mouth, your nose, that sort of thing. In general, there's two situations in which masks are helpful. First, um, if you are sick, you wear a mask, it helps and you from spreading the virus to other people. So people who are sick and are going to be in contact with others should wear a mask. If you, if you have a cough and you go to your doctor's office, you go to the grocery store, it would be a good idea to wear a mask to protect others. And the second situation is for people who are in very close contact and taking care of people who are ill, 
wearing a mask may provide some some benefit. So this is why healthcare workers are wearing masks and other equipment to protect themselves if they're caring for someone who has COVID-19. And if you were caring for, in very close contact and caring for a family member, for example, who has the disease, that might be one situation in which a mask could be beneficial to you. Although even in that situation, it's even more beneficial for the person who's sick to be wearing it. Um, but, but that's how I think about this. So for the great majority of people, wearing a mask when you go out um, is probably not providing you any benefit, and it could be taking things away from healthcare facilities that really need some of those resources. Yeah, I think that's right. It's It creates a little bit of a fear when everybody sees everybody wearing masks or there's that many people sick out there, right. you know, that they're wearing a mask. So one of the things that you right. mentioned is that the virus droplets will land on a surface. And there's actually a preliminary study that we saw this morning and was sent to me that said that uh, a preliminary study found that it may linger on surfaces like plastic and stainless steel for a couple of days. Do you know anything about that? Right. I mean, that's, that's similar to, to many other viruses. And I think that's why it can be important to wipe down surfaces. That's why I think a lot of workplaces are doing things to promote cleaning. Gyms are doing things to promote cleaning. And then I think for ourselves, making sure that we're keeping surfaces clean and things that we touch and use every day you know, credit cards, phones, et cetera, is helpful because that that is how the virus is most likely to spread. And that's what we would call community spread. Is that right? When you have a credit card that you put into a credit card reader that then gets on the credit card reader, then the next person uses it. Is that right? That's right. Community spread is basically where it's hard to tell. It's being passed from person to person by really any mode, but that it's just spreading through the community rather than just sporadically, you're in close contact with one sick person and you get sick and then you're in close contact with someone else, but it's where it becomes hard to know who's giving it to who. So what do we do if we think we've been exposed to the virus or if we start to have some symptoms? I mean, the first thing to do is contact your doctor because they can hopefully help you get a better sense of how high risk you are, if these symptoms match what you might expect with COVID-19. And I think also making sure that we're then avoiding close contact with other people when we might be sick. So we're not giving this to our family members, to other people that we're around. I think those are the two things that we should do. If someone in your family comes down with coronavirus or COVID-19, how can you safely protect yourself and other loved ones from getting the, the disease? This may be hard to do, but I think trying to take the best precautions you can to sort of separate that person. So if they can have a separate bedroom, a separate bathroom, if at all possible, making sure that surfaces are being cleaned, avoiding close contact with that person and having them wear a mask when they're around people to avoid spreading the droplets, to avoid spreading it to other people. There's some good um, directions on the CDC website about that sort of quarantining of family members within the home. And so I would encourage people to look on that website um, for some more details about what they could do. If you think you need to get tested and you suspect you've been exposed, what, what does that test look like? Well, right now the test is a nose and mouth swab. This is evolving rapidly. And so different labs are, are coming up with their different assays. But in general, it's a nose and mouth swab that are done. And then turnaround time can be anywhere from a day to a couple days. And, and hopefully we'll get shorter in some locations to know the results. I think the other part of your question is 
sort of who is going to get tested and, and how do you get tested? How do you know if you can be tested? And that is really changing rapidly. I think we'd love to see more people be able to get tested, even when they have more mild symptoms. But right now, there just aren't as many tests available. Each healthcare facility has their own protocols for how they're prioritizing testing and who they're testing. Unfortunately, the only way to really find that out is to contact the local healthcare facility, be it the clinic or the hospital, and find out what their policies and procedures are. The information that we have around this disease and this outbreak is very global, but also incredibly local, that we have lots of different rules that are going to govern how we can get tested, what we should do. That's going to pertain not only to our community, but also to what our personal risk might be based on our arthritis or our age and any of these other factors. Your insights into what it's like living with arthritis can make a life-changing difference for yourself and others. Help choose topics for future podcast episodes and change the future of arthritis resources and research. Take just a few minutes to make a change. Arthritis.org slash insights. Dr. George, what are the top three things about COVID-19, the coronavirus, that you want to leave with our audience today? Well, first, I think people should recognize that this is an important problem, and we're likely to see more infections over the next few weeks. People should remember, though, that the the majority of people who develop COVID-19 will have a more mild illness, and the great majority will recover. And, And I expect this to be true also for people with autoimmune arthritis. Of course, some people will have a severe illness. And then finally, it's important for us to take precautions to protect ourselves. And that includes hand washing, cleaning surfaces, which can be a way of spreading the disease, and then avoiding close contact with people who are sick. Thank you so much, Dr. George, for your time today. We really appreciate all that you've done to help answer questions for our arthritis community. And um, just wanna remind everyone, that you can check your state and local health department websites and the CDC website for more information and the latest information, as well as log on to our website at arthritis.org. Thanks, Dr. George. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. This special edition of the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast was brought to you by the trusted experts of the Arthritis Foundation, recorded on March 12, 2020. For the most up-to-date information regarding coronavirus and arthritis, visit our website, arthritis.org. Or you can check the CDC website at cdc.gov for the latest information. This Live Yes with Arthritis podcast was brought to you by the trusted experts of the Arthritis Foundation. We're bringing together leaders in the arthritis community to help you make a difference in your own life in ways that make sense. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. The Arthritis Foundation would like to thank Janssen and Sanofi Genzyme Regenera for sponsoring today's episode. Go to arthritis.org slash liveyespodcast for episodes and show notes. And stay in touch 